sports fans. Happy belated New Year, and welcome back to Sports Cuts with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromolo, and NFL Wildcard Weekend 2016. Uh, it's 2017, but in, on the NFL calendar, you know, it's still 2016. It's not the 2017 NFL calendar until March, actually, but uh, you get the picture. NFL Wildcard Weekend 2016 was even more of the dud we anticipated it to be. But the divisional round brings us some very enticing matchups, and I am very optimistic that we're going to see an infinitely better product uh, this coming weekend than we did this past weekend, and we will preview those games for you today. Plus, get the latest on the NFL coaching vacancies with our special guest and great friend of the program, Jake Marsing. Jake is a rising star reporter in the Denver area who covers both the Broncos and Nuggets for five for the 5280 Sports Network, and he also contributes to the Vic Lombardi Show on the radio station Altitude 950 in Denver. It's great to have you back on the program, Jake. How you doing tonight? Decrom, I am more than happy to be here. And we are more than happy to have your um, expertise. Uh, there's a, uh, you're a rare breed of reporter. You know the, the sports you cover inside and out, and you have a lot of the sources to tell us what's going on. So uh, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure having a, a mind like that on our program. Well, I'm certainly happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome, Jake. And uh, let's start off. Like I said, this week, Wildcard Weekend was a ho hum, ho, uh, four ho hum games um, uh, that uh, ended with like a, a record average of, of a, a, a defeat. Eating, uh, the average win was by almost three touchdowns. And uh, uh, I just, um, uh, I just was wondering what uh, what stood out to you um, uh, the most on Wildcard Weekend. You know, for me, D. Crum, I was one of those guys that had the Giants as kind of the sneaky team that could do something, and they wind up doing nothing. Uh, so that that game interested me. But you're right; generally, a uh, pretty boring, miserable wild card weekend to watch. The most lopsided wild card weekend, I believe, since 1981 was the Whoa. stat that we went with this morning uh, on the radio show in terms of just total points separating each four games. So. Really kind of a disappointing first uh, set of games. Hoping the national championship game tonight is a little bit better. By the time folks hear this, they'll know if that's the case. But uh, generally, uh, a pretty boring weekend to watch. But when it comes to NFL football, that's, uh, that, that, that's, a, tough, that's a tough thing to hit to say that four games are, are consistently boring. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was a tough weekend. It was a tough weekend for sure. It was almost uh, certainly a tough weekend, but like I alluded to, we have some very enticing matchups on our hands, and I anticipate three of the next four games being super competitive. And let's start with the first game of the four-game slate this weekend, Saturday afternoon at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta with the Seattle Seahawks going to face their former defensive coordinator Dan Quinn and his Atlanta Falcons. And when I look at this game, I see a very high-scoring game because you got the league MVP uh, the potential league MVP, Matt Ryan, and that high-flying Falcons offense uh, coordinated by Kyle Shanahan, what arguably the most balanced attack uh, it, it, offensively in the National Football League with the Ruddy game with Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman and also Matt Ryan obviously throwing to Julio Jones, but also guys like Mohamed Sanu, uh, Justin Hardy, uh, and any all the other uh, – they just have so many – they just have guys with defined roles on that offense that just step up whatever they're needed, and uh, that's uh, what what makes them tick. And you got – but on the Falcons' defense on the other hand, they don't really scare you outside of uh, Vic Beasley and uh, Keanu Neal. So that gives the Seahawks' offense quite an opportunity. 
So I uh, I see a pretty high scoring game, don't you? Yeah, I think it's got the potential to be that. I don't think that Seattle defense is necessarily what it has been in the last few years. They're missing their leader uh, in Earl Thomas. I think that game could definitely get into the 30s, maybe high 20s. Uh, and it's going to be fascinating to watch. You know, everybody here in Denver is looking to that Kyle Shanahan offense and wants to see what they can get out of that. And, you know, it's going to be a fun game, I think. Definitely more enjoyable than the four that we had this weekend. It, it absolutely will. And, uh, your prediction for this game, you said you were leaning towards Seattle yesterday. Why are you leaning towards Seattle winning? Uh, I don't know that Atlanta has the kind of playoff experience that, you, that you'd look for. Uh, playoff experience matters to me when picking these games. Which team has been there and done that? Which team knows how to prepare for games like this? Because it is a challenge. It's a different kind of deal preparing for postseason games in the NFL than preparing for your average week-to-week game. Uh, so I, I think Seattle, with the playoff experience that they have, is going to be able to really put on a show. Not necessarily put on a show, but go into Atlanta and get a win, uh, I, I think would be. I, I think it's probably going to be likely. I think it's going to be a good game, though. Uh, but, yeah, I, I am picking Seattle, at least at this point. Uh, yes, I am actually unsure at this point, but let me tell you why I will lean towards the Falcons. The injury to Earl Thomas like brings the Falc- the the Seahawks defense down an entire category. Uh like Earl Thomas is easily the uh uh the like the last line of defense on that defense. He's uh not not only that, he covers a lot of ground from sideline to sideline in the blink of an eye. No uh, I can, I can think of very few other safeties that could that do that. So um uh well, well, you got the picture. Uh, and with all the weapons the Falcons have, and yes, they're going to probably double cover Julio with uh, Richard Sherman and Cab Chancellor, but that leaves up uh, that will leave um, somebody open. And if the Seahawks pass rush cannot get to Matt Ryan, they'll likely be in trouble because, uh, like I said, there there are a lot of mouths to feed on that offense. And the Seahawks' offensive line, yes, the Falcons' defense is problematic, but the Seahawks' offensive line is just a disgrace. And and Vic Beasley is going to have a golden matchup for him against uh, whoever he lines up against, whether it be George Fan at left tackle or um, at right tackle, um, uh, Gary Gilliam at right tackle. And, uh, and, and yes, uh, Russell Wilson's going to have his and the Seahawks are going to score uh, uh, qu- quite a bit of points. But I think Vic Beasley has more of a chance of making a game-changing uh, play than, uh, this, than the Seahawks do, um, uh, given the Falcons' superior offensive line. So that's why I see the uh, Falcons um, uh, winning this uh, game. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's perfectly sound logic. I think that makes plenty of sense. Uh I look at the game a little bit differently. I think that Russell Wilson's ability to escape pressure is going to help them. Their offensive line has been bad all year, and they've been able to find a way to get to this spot. I don't necessarily disagree that that in a regular season game, the Falcons are the better team. But I talk to players all the time, and the guys who've been there, done that in the postseason, tell me over and over again just how different it is to, to go into that environment in a postseason game. And I trust a team that's been there and done that a little bit more than a team that hasn't. The Falcons are going to be good for a long time, uh, at least for the next two to three, two to four years. Uh, but I, I think Seattle finds a way to win this game. Uh, that's very sound logic too, and that's why both of us aren't uh, completely locked into our picks on this game yet. And uh, now let's move on to the second game on the Saturday slate. 
a game that we are, have our prediction probably locked in already. The Houston Texans and the New England Patriots, it, 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 this explains itself. It's such a lopsided matchup. Uh, the odds of Donald Trump winning the presidency on election night, I don't mean to uh, bring back memories for Jake knowing your background <laughs> in politics, but the odds of Donald Trump winning the presidency on election night were 30%, and those are great odds. That was better than Chris Bryant's batting average. It, it, Donald Trump had an infinitely better chance of winning the presidency on election night than the Texans do of being the Patriots. It would require a, the, the miracle of miracles for the Texans to pull this off. Like, like you know, the disparities between the, 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 the roster. Like, Texans, like, their offense is, yes, they look good, but that was against a crappy, banged-up Raiders defense, whole horrendous secondary, and... Uh, and you know, and, uh, and Brock Osweiler, the tape speaks for itself. And obviously, the Patriots—they're the Patriots, and uh, they and Tom Brady wants to beat Joe Montana and get that fifth Super Bowl ring. Um, so, um, what will be needed in the miracle of miracles for the Texans to pull off what would be the upset of the century here? Literally, everything would need to go wrong for the Patriots. So all their all their players' cars would have to get stuck in the snow <laughs> on the way to the stadium. For that game, like Tom Brady would have to not get to the building somehow for that game to be anywhere near a close for the Texans. The Texans are the worst team remaining in the postseason, in my opinion, by, by quite a bit. Uh, I, I think Brock Osweiler will he'll do what Brock does, which Brock will flash consistently. Maybe two to on a bad day, he'll still have two plays that make you go, oh, that was, that was all right. Um, so he'll flash every once in a while, but ultimately we know who Brock Osweiler is as a quarterback. People who watch the league, cover the league, know who and what he is. He's going to struggle going into that environment. I think Tom Brady, the New England Patriots, are going to get it done by at least 10 points. I don't know what the line is right now. I think it was 16 when I looked this morning. Um, that's a big line, but it's not necessarily unreasonable. Uh, yeah, there, there's no way for the uh, we had we had Joel Dreesen on the show and we asked him that very question. He said there is zero percent chance that uh, that the Texans find a way to win that game. It's just not going to happen. Uh, but you know, that that Texans team has been fascinating all year. It, it it would shock me certainly if something happened. But the one guy who I think could have a a decent day is Jadavian Clowney, who continues to impress me oh, with yes. development here and- in the last couple of years. He, oh, he is totally impressive, and I can only imagine how amazing and how potentially special and historically elite that defense could have been had J.J. Watt not gotten injured this year. Don't you feel the same way at times when you watch that defense? Yeah, you know, I, I wonder, because teams, players play a little bit differently, and I think Clowney plays a little bit differently this season, having known that he's really the only option. Merciless is a good player, too, but... Clowney is the only option as a as a consistent edge rusher. He's played at a different level. I wonder if you put uh, if you put JJ Watt on that defense if he plays with the same kind of motor. We've known since South Carolina that Clowney has issues getting up, getting his motor going. Uh, I, I just wonder if he gives the same consistent effort every play because there were times when Clowney and Watt were on the field and it was fun to watch, but I I, I didn't see the same Clowney. Part of that was definitely due to injury, but uh, this is a different kid that, that I'm watching right yeah. now. He is uh, yes. he is a freaky athlete. He's one of these athletes that's that's just raw physical power and speed, and he doesn't really know what to do with it still. 
but he's figuring it out. And it's fun to watch a kid with this much physical skill learn how to become a football player, which is a process that here in Denver, Von Miller went through really during the 2012-2013 season. He had the bad 2013 season, but 2012 was really when he put it all together in terms of getting his physical skill figured out and then again resetting in 2014. And that that's a fun process to watch when you have elite edge rushers, and Clowney is certainly going to wind up being that for a long time. Oh, absolutely. But uh, Bill Belichick, uh, like he did with Von Miller um, uh, in that game a couple weeks ago in Denver, he devoted all the resources to neutralizing him, and I assume he's going to do pretty much the exact same thing to Jadeveon Clowney. Clowney might get um, a play or two on Brady, but he's not going to get enough to win. I like the Patriots as well. And now let's move on to the first game of the Sunday slate uh, at Arrowhead Stadium with the Pittsburgh Steelers going against the Kansas City Chiefs. And yes, the Steelers uh, clean house with the Miami Dolphins yesterday winning 30-12, to but the big story coming out of that game was Ben Roethlisberger was in a walking boot at the end of the game, having uh, suffered an ankle injury on the his final pass of the game, a meaningless pass that was intercepted and he was uh, rolled over by a Cameron Wake on that play. Uh, but uh, reports, can you confirm that, uh, have you heard any reports? I heard a report that Roethlisberger uh, shedded the boot this morning. Uh, can you confirm that? I hadn't heard that. I, I don't cover that team very closely, but I have some people out there. Uh, yeah, I knew that he'd been in the boot yesterday. The thing with Ben, though, Ben has a reputation of coming out there and putting on those kind of displays. He did it last season before the Denver playoff game where it was a, where he made a big deal about a minor injury and it wound up being nothing. And he proved that on the first play of the game. Roethlisberger likes to put those kinds of things, the, the, the shows on to show how big and tough he is when not, when uh, that isn't necessarily the, the case uh, in terms of the severity of an injury. But yeah, I, I hadn't heard that, that he, has gotten the boot off. If people out there are reporting it, I, I certainly wouldn't doubt that. But uh, I had not. I can't can't in, independently confirm that. But uh, yeah, that that would not surprise me if the boot is off. Considering Ben's reputation of not necessarily playing up injuries, but why he likes to make sure that everybody in the in the known universe knows how tough he is. Uh, kind of a, a Roethlisberger thing. So it would not shock me if if the boot came on and then came off real fast. Oh, uh, very good point. Like, yeah, Ben kind of has this way of like uh, playing the media for fools uh, uh, into like believing he has an injury that's major when it's really minor. And actually several athletes uh, like to do that uh, to like spin a narrative one way or the other. But uh, Roethlisberger, I'm unknown to be a master of that. And actually, I remember going back to your initial prediction this season. You picked the Kansas City Chiefs to be in the AFC championship game. Do you stand by that prediction? I do. I did. I picked him. I picked him to be in the championship game. Wow. Uh, I for, I'd forgotten that, T-Crom. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, you know, Pleasure. the chief, the Chiefs team, this Chiefs team is, is interesting because there's no one individual player on that team, maybe Tyreek Hill, but oh boy. In, in their core group, there's no one individual player that I look at and say, oh, that guy can beat you. That guy can do some crazy things and beat you. They're just kind of one of these sneaky teams that just finds ways to win football games. Uh, can they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers? Yeah, because I don't think the Pittsburgh Steelers are that great. I, I don't know, honestly, who I'm going to pick in this game. I, I think I picked Kansas-Pittsburgh uh, early in the week. I, 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 don't, I can't be sure yet. Um, 
Kansas City can certainly find a way to win that game if they can create turnovers. I just, I don't know if that Kansas City offense can consistently, if it gets into a shootout, I certainly am going to trust Antonio Brown, Big Ben, uh, Le'Veon Bell more than I am Alex Smith in that core and that that group. Tyree Kill is going to make plays because that's what that kid does. But it, it, it's really going to be, I think, one of the better games to watch. Kind of a sneaky good game that could wind up uh, really, really being the highlight of the weekend. I can't honestly tell you right now who I'm going to pick by the end of the week. I need to see kind of how, like you mentioned, the Roethlisberger injury comes along, how some other things come along. But but as of right now, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem picking Kansas City uh, if that's what I did earlier in the year. I need to go back and look. I'm glad glad somebody's keeping me on point here, Decrom. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that game I think could be a fun one. It, it very well could be. And looking at the uh, Chiefs, uh, I have been um, – uh, if you could, if you read by a by sports related tweets in recent weeks uh, that they've uh, th- that the Chiefs have been really intriguing to me as well, especially since that game uh, they won um, against the Broncos uh, in Denver uh, at, in late November. Uh, I kind of view the Chiefs as this year's kind of mirror image of that 2015 Broncos team. Uh, yes, it might not show with the stats because keep in mind, a lot of guys weren't healthy to start the year, but look, look, look at that defense defense is with studs on all three levels. Uh, and, but unlike last year's Broncos, you have not one in Tyreek Hill, but two mismatch nightmares it, uh, on the offense with Travis Kelsey and uh, obviously Tyree Kill. Yes, Alex Smith isn't the best quarterback. He is uh, the game. He 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 is your quintessential game manager that plays more not to lose than to win. But th- th- this time he has game changers in Kelsey and Hill that could help him make the plays when he absolutely needs to. And I think if, if the Chiefs' defense could hold their own. All Alex Smith might need is a drive or two to put the Chiefs over the top because of those uh, major weapons. And uh, also, kind of back to that Broncos game, uh, I don't mean to go down memory lane here, but uh, like when I was, like through the first three quarters, I was wondering, why aren't they targeting Travis Kelsey that much? The Broncos don't have anybody they could cover him. And they re- realized it at the end, uh, right when they had to, and uh, the, the rest is history. But. Uh, uh, like I kept on saying, if they would have targeted Kelsey early and often in that game, uh, they probably um, uh, it probably wouldn't have been a nail biter. So, uh, well, that, that's another story. Forgive me. I just wanted to get that off my chest. But yeah, uh, no, you're you're absolutely right, Decom. Broncos had issues all season covering running backs and tight ends, and uh, once Travis once they found Travis Kelsey in that game, it was more or less over for Denver. Oh, absolutely. And uh, do you agree with my point that if their defense is able to hold their own against the three Bs and Big Ben, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown and limit and and limits their um, uh, scoring, and all it might take is a drive or two by Alex Smith to make the difference because of uh, those uh, mismatched nightmares in Tyreek Hill and uh, Travis Kelsey? Yeah, certainly. If they can, if either that, that Kansas City defense can make a couple plays, keep the score low, or if... I just don't see, if it's a shootout, I don't see the Chiefs being able to hold their own in that kind of a game. But uh, if if the Kansas City defense can do their part early, like the first quarter is going to tell us a lot about this game, about what kind of a, a tone it's going to set, what kind of a game it's going to wind up being. If the score stays relatively low, somewhere between you know 10 and 14 points in the first half, 
I'd look and say Kansas City is capable of winning that game. That if you've got a score by halftime that's, you know, 21-16, 21-13, that, that game's relatively over if Pittsburgh's already been able to make plays and put up 20-plus points by halftime. But Arrowhead's a tough environment. Uh, it's it's one of the more difficult buildings in the league to plan, not just because oh of the crowd noise and the environment, but also because of the field conditions. It's notoriously a pretty miserable field to play on. And guys and teams that are more used to playing on that surface, like the Kansas City Chiefs are, ultimately have a have a built-in advantage than, than teams that don't play there yeah. as often. Uh, guys on the Broncos that I talk to, they hate playing at Arrowhead, mostly because of those <laughs> poor field conditions. Well, that that will be a very interesting development to watch, especially when it comes to like kicking uh, field goals, especially uh, uh, next weekend. But uh, 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 yes, I haven't picked a, a winner of this game either, like you. But this, I believe, is the matchup that's going to decide the game. The Steelers have a top five offensive line in the league. Uh, obviously, Marquise Pouncey, Pro Bowl stud center. David DeCastro, uh, Pro Bowl guard. Uh, you got and uh, Alejandro Villanueva, a, a, a gem that was found uh, that was taken from the military uh, um, as an undrafted free agent. He's turning into one of the better left tackles in in, in the league. Uh, and uh, and against the Chiefs, and I see four legitimate pass rushing options with the Chiefs, if not five. Uh, they are stacked. Obviously, you got Justin Houston, D. Ford, or Tom Bahali coming off the edge. But if you look at the front three, Chris Jones, promising rookie from Mississippi State. You also got, uh, and obviously, Dantari Poe, who um, uh, can create a lot of push when he's uh, playing nose tackle. So I think that matchup it, uh, could decide the game. If the Chiefs don't get to bed Roethlisberger with any one of those five options that I listed, they could be in big trouble. Yeah, I think they absolutely could be, Decrum. That's... That's that's a real possibility for sure. Yes. Uh, what matchup do you see um, uh, deciding this uh, this game? Uh, I see Steelers offensive line versus uh, Chiefs pass rushing and de- pass rushers and defensive line. What do you see? Well, if the if the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be able to hold their own in a game that gets anywhere near a shootout, it's going to become you know, imperative on Tyreek Hill to make plays. Uh, when I when that guy started to come along early in the season and really become a threat for them. The Broncos had their eye on him, and I actually chatted a little bit one-on-one with Jody Camillus, the, the Broncos special teams coach, about what makes a player like that so dangerous. And it's not just the special teams threat, obviously, that he brings. It's it's all the additional factors. It's his ability to create space and open field. It's his raw speed and athleticism. It's all those things that guys have such a hard time dealing with on a player like that. And that was the thing that D. Camillus expressed to me was that it's just he's a handful. And you got to find a way to take care of him. And if you can't, you're going to be in trouble. I, I don't know whether the Steelers special teams group can or whether that defense can if he uh, gets some carries on offense, get some chances in the open field, maybe a couple screen passes, a couple quick throws outside the numbers. You know, There are a lot of different ways to get a guy like that the ball. And when he has the ball in his hands, he's extremely dangerous. So that's the guy that I look at on that Kansas City offense and say if he's going to be a problem – uh, for Pittsburgh, if this game is going to be a problem for Pittsburgh, it's going to be because of him. So how does how do the Steelers attack him? How much do they devote to him? How much do they devote to Kelsey? Really, the matchup for me is Andy Reid uh, versus Mike Tomlin and, and the coaching battle here. Yeah. What kind of a chess match is it going to be? It's going to be a fun one to watch. 
uh, especially uh, on the special team side and trying to contain a guy who I think could wind up being a game breaker yet again for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, most definitely, and uh, we both will uh, stay moot on that prediction for now because like uh, Jake and I said, that is arguably the toughest game of the week uh, to predict. And now we move on to the fourth and final game of the uh, divisional slate, the Green Bay Packers going to Jerry World in Arlington, Texas to take on the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, you mentioned the New York Giants um, uh, as a team that um, that you expected to like be like the, the – the surprise uh, team, the sleeper team of the playoffs, they just got dismantled. And yesterday, it, the way it unfolded was so interesting. When Jordy Nelson suffered that that injury, and Ian Rappaport had just reported that he suffered at least two broken ribs and playing on Sunday would require, uh, like, uh, like I alluded to in the Texas Patriots uh, game, a miracle of miracles for him to play on Sunday. And when Jordy Nelson went out, I was like, oh, man. Here we go again. Aaron Rodgers is going to struggle without it because none of his other receivers can win routes and get open. How wrong I was. Did yesterday, uh, like Devontae Adams has like grown tremendously compared from last year to this year. And Randall Cobb has uh, is back to playing like the player that we thought he was. And also Jared Cook adds another dimension with, with his um, uh, athleticism uh, and uh and if Ty Montgomery, if that injury is minor, um, uh, he also can uh, create problems in the uh, passing game as well. Uh, so did yesterday prove that Aaron Rodgers has once again learned how to function without Jordy Nelson? Uh, what differences did you see um, uh, uh, in the game yesterday compared to last year when they absolutely were dead without Jordy Nelson? You know, I saw guys winning routes. I saw guys getting open. Uh, which is something that you didn't see hardly at all last season. Randall Cobb had a nice day. I thought that there were a couple of plays that some other guys on that offense made that were really impressive. And obviously, when you have Aaron Rodgers, you're going to have an opportunity to win football games on a pretty regular basis in a lot of different ways. But I, I think it's about guys being smart with how they attack a, a secondary. People don't always understand that that as a receiving group, it's not just one-on-one -on -one matchups, and it's like coaches certainly don't view it that way. It's not just about this guy beating this guy and finding a way to get open. It's a cumulative effort of every receiver on the field against every DB to find open space and get open, and that's something that I think you can use that, that core group of receivers without Jordy Nelson to, to really do, to find ways to get open, to find route combinations that work in, in open space. That's something that I saw a lot of. Guys running, not necessarily pick plays, but plays designed to get guys away from their DBs. Uh, you know, quick in-cuts, quick, uh, you know, layers routes where you've got one guy running, you know, a three-yard in and then one guy running a five-yard in so that it's, it's stacked coverage. Those kinds of route combinations that, that coaches use a lot, and I didn't see a lot of last season, but I saw a lot of yesterday uh, to find ways to get open. That's something that I think teams don't do enough of or don't think enough about, and it's something the Packers did yesterday. And when you have Aaron Rodgers, he's going to find ways to get guys the football. He is an electric, uh, talented, maybe as, as physically talented a quarterback as, as the league has had in some time, certainly since John Elway, well, uh, just in terms of raw physical talent. Um, but I, I think Aaron Rodgers has, has all the potential in the world to find ways to get guys open and win this game. And that's something that 
Uh, well, as long as you've got him, I'm not. I'm not counting that Packers team out. Certainly. Oh, you can never count Aaron Rodgers out. Aaron Rodgers still remains, as he showed us, the most talented quarterback in, in the National Football League. And, uh, and yes, the Cowboys had a very successful regular season, but I think they're running into trouble here because their defense is just not really that good. And they really didn't have to face uh, – well, they did face the Steelers, and that was a shootout. And they're going to have trouble with the Packers because I don't think they uh, they have a proven pass rusher. Although David Irving's shown promise here or there, but uh, he he uh, going against uh, other Bakhtiari Bulaga is going to be very tough for him. Uh, he uh, and also yes, they got Mo Claiborne back, but uh, as long as Rodgers is protected well, he's and, and if the Cowboys just have no pass rush, Rodgers is going to be able to at least find somebody open eventually, and. Uh, so obviously the the way the only way for the Cowboys to win this game, in my opinion, is for them to keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. And I think that unless Zeke Elliott does not have the game of his life this Sunday, I just do not see um, uh, the Cowboys winning this game because uh, they've been they're, they're like too much of a one sided team, in my opinion. And uh, unless they could keep the ball away from Rodgers, I just don't see him winning. You? I, I agree completely, Decom. I think that, I mean, anybody who follows me on Twitter at JT Marching knows that I, I'll put out tweets to say the Cowboys are frauds every once in a while <laughs> during Cowboys games because I think they are. I think, like you said, that defense is shoddy. Uh, that And they're really, their, offensive, their offense is not that great. Zeke Elliott is a phenomenal player. He's going to be great for a long time. I, I'm not sold on Dak Prescott yet. Uh, I need to see him do some different things. Uh, and the offensive line that he plays behind helps him enormously. It help, I mean, you put Trevor Simeon behind that offensive line, and goodness knows I'm not the biggest Trevor Simeon fan, but you put that kid behind that Cowboys offensive line, and I think he looks a lot like Dak Prescott's look this season. Uh, you give quarterbacks the ability to sit back in the pocket, go through progressions, make reads, have plenty of time to get rid of the football, they're going to look pretty good at this level if they're talented enough to play here. And Dak certainly is. He's raw, but he but he is. Uh, I, I agree with you completely. I don't. I've said that the Cowboys. Are, I, I think you get the Cowboys up against a playoff team, and they're going to struggle, especially under that that kind of pressure. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if Tony Romo winds up playing a little bit in this game. Uh, if they're if Ooh. they get down if they get down early and 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 Jason Garrett just feels the need to go to a veteran, uh, it wouldn't shock me to see. I I, I just. I don't see how the Cowboys win this football game. Uh, yes, it's. Uh, I completely agree. I like the Packers. And let me add this to you. I predicted that whoever won yesterday's Giants-Packers game would wind up being the NFC representative in the Super Bowl, and and I think the Packers not only win this game, they also go on to win the NFC Championship game and get to Super Bowl Fifty One. Yeah, that's bold. Uh, I don't. I don't know about that. The NFC is so wide open with. You know, That's true. The, the four teams that are left, I could, I mean, I just said I don't see a way the Cowboys win, but I could see a formula for them, you know, if they run the football, play ball control offense, if their defense is able to rush the passer enough, if they're able to, to create turnovers on that side, I could see a way that they get there. Um, it's it's probably the least likely scenario in my mind, but I could see a way that all four of those, NFC, of those remaining NFC teams uh, find a way to sneak in. Uh, but if I had... To make my pick right now, I think Green Bay has a shot. And I think Seattle Seattle certainly has a shot. 
and uh, Atlanta, I don't, I don't know about, but but the four teams, they each have formulas to get there, and I, I don't think I can say that in the AFC. I think, I think we all know who's going to wind up going to the Super Bowl in the AFC, yeah. and that makes things not necessarily um, as fun, but it, uh, it makes yes. them certainly interesting. And speaking of the AFC, we all know that the Texans have a virtually impossible chance of being the Patriots. Which of the other two teams do you think has the better chance of upsetting the Patriots at uh, Gillette in the AFC Championship game, Pittsburgh or Kansas City? Oh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh by a lot. Um, Kansas City's just not built for that game. Um, they're not They're not built for I – mean, they can. They hung tough last season, uh, if I'm if I remembering correctly, in, the, in, that, in that playoff game that they had. But I, I think Pittsburgh, you get them into that environment. You get an experienced playoff quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger into that environment. If that team's totally healthy going into that game, uh, I, I could see Pittsburgh outscoring the Patriots. Maybe not beating them, but outscoring them. Because um, I, I, I don't think... I mean, that New England defense is, of course, incredibly well coached, but they're not necessarily... Uh, they, I, I don't know that they're, you know, they're not they're not the cats pajamas or anything. They're not the '85 Bears or the '15 Broncos. That that defense has some holes, and I could see Ben Roethlisberger putting up, you know, close to 40 and finding a way to win that game. I just, I don't think Kansas City has enough uh, to to put Tom Brady away, especially at home. I, I could see the Steelers doing it though. Oh. And that will be an interesting development to watch. And uh, we are almost uh, done uh, on the program today. Uh, but uh, but before we enter our final brief two segments, I want to remind you that you can follow our guest on Twitter at Jake D. Marsing on Twitter, at Jake D. Marsing. So uh, he's a, a great guy to follow people as uh, he's showing you uh, here today. And uh, now let's uh, move on. Um, uh, in the other NFL news, um, the first domino in the NFL coaching vacancies has fallen as today um, uh, the first of six vacancies was filled as the Jacksonville Jaguars hired uh, offensive line coach Doug Marone to be to succeed Gus Bradley as head coach. And not only that, they hired former head coach Tom Coughlin. Yes, Tom Coughlin, the who was the first coach in Jaguars franchise history and then went on to win two Super Bowls with the New York Giants. He will serve as the team's executive vice president of football operations at meeting. He will have um, uh, the final say over personnel and drafting. So he uh, will be uh, the general manager will, in in fact, report to him. Um, uh, What are your thoughts on that hire? Um, And especially uh, uh, Coughlin uh, returning to the front office. Yeah, I don't love the Marone hire. Uh, Doug Marone was a guy in Buffalo that had issues with with some of his players. And and I don't don't necessarily love that. I I really like that Jacksonville roster. I think you talk to guys around the league and they look at that roster full of, you know, full of top five picks, uh, full of top five, top ten picks in the NFL draft. And they say, holy cow, there's a lot of talent there. It's going to be up to the right coach to, to get in there and, and really develop that talent. And going within the organization with Doug Marone, doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me in a lot of ways. You, if you were going to fire Gus Bradley, I would have thought you would have wanted to go outside the building, find somebody you could bring in to develop that talent. And then the hiring of Coughlin doesn't make a lot of sense to me either because if you're going to hire Coughlin, hire him as your coach. Hiram is your disciplinarian, the guy who can whip that young talent into shape for three to four years before he ultimately probably retires. Um, I, I know Tom Coughlin's been desperately wanting back into football this season, and 
he, so I think he would have taken any role that was offered to him, but he's never been great with personnel. He's, it's not like he, it's not like he's been, you know, some, it's not like he's John Elway or, or Reggie McKenzie or some kind of great drafting general or not drafting, but just kind of excellent general manager. He's never had that, that resume as a talent evaluator. So that it, it's a little puzzling to me that Jacksonville would go in that direction and, Frankly, it tells me that the Jags are going to continue to be the Jags for the next several years, despite the fact that I look at that roster and see maybe as much talent as just about any other team in the NFL in terms of just raw athletes who are capable of going out there and making plays. Jalen, I mean, Ramsey's a great player. I think Bortles can still be saved. I think that receiving duo is one of the more underrated ones in the NFL. I think that defense has a ton of talent. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I expect I expect they're going to be good for a long time uh, if oh. they could get under the right coaching. I just I don't see Marone being that guy. Uh, uh, neither do I. He like uh, was me- mediocre at Buffalo, and mediocrity just will no longer suffice to Jacksonville anymore. Uh, going from like f- uh, four twelve to nine and seven, not good enough. Completely agree. And uh, uh, and now uh, before we um, uh, wrap it up, uh, let's uh, focus on uh, the latest uh, coming from uh, your neck of the woods in Denver, where the Broncos are currently. Uh, in the midst of uh, finding the successor to the uh, recently retired Gary Kubiak. Uh, they do meet with the uh, Dolphins defensive coordinator Vance Joseph tomorrow per um, uh, Adam Schefter and uh, Troy Rank et al. Um, but Adam Schefter just appeared on a local radio station in Denver, and he reported that he could, quote, know for a fact that the Broncos absolutely were amazed with Kyle Shanahan, and the interview with him went well. And I've heard a lot of mixed reports say, oh, some, uh, one reporter says, oh, Joseph's the favorite. And they say, no, no, Shanahan's the favorite. It's uh, it, it sounds like a toss-up based on all these uh, reports I'm reading. So what's the uh, – so this is a two-part question. A, what is the latest you are hearing on the Broncos head coaching uh, search? And uh, describe the baggage that's related to Kyle Shanahan's relationship with the Broncos that needs to be – um, uh, um, that needs to be cleared in order for him to get hired. Well, I'll answer the first question first. Yeah, I heard the same should the the same thing that Schefter is reporting. I can definitely confirm that. Um, that the the Broncos went into Atlanta, they're meeting with him, thinking that Vance Joseph was likely going to be their guy, and uh, they were they were really impressed with, with Kyle and the energy he brought, the attitude he brought, and the presentation he bought he brought and his his understanding as well of, of just exactly what that Denver offense needs in order to get going again. They, they loved what they heard from Kyle Shanahan in a meeting that lasted about four hours. Uh, really an impressive conversation that they had with him. Uh, the, the group of five that went down there, Mark Thews, John Elway, Patrick Smythe, uh, Matt Russell, that group really, Joe Ellis, uh, they were very impressed with with what they heard. Uh, so yeah, I can I can certainly confirm that. Um, and I I don't think there I, like I I don't think there is a leader right now. I think quite honestly that the Broncos would be happy with either Shanahan or Joseph, and they're waiting to hear from Vijay. They're waiting to hear from from Vance Joseph tomorrow. He's going to fly out to Denver uh, to to meet with them at the at the team facility out there at the UC Health Training Center. And I think that that conversation is going to determine a lot. If you don't hear about Vance Joseph being hired by the Broncos by Friday, that tells me that Kyle Shanahan is going to be the next head coach of the Denver Broncos because they'd have no reason to wait at that point. Um, if they're impressed, they, they want to get this thing done as soon as possible. 
you think about it, the Broncos have not missed the postseason since the McDaniels era, and this is the first time they've had an extended period of time to really get into the offseason. Senior Bowl has been going on three out of the last four years, and or two out of the last three years, and the Broncos have been down, the Broncos haven't been able to go to the Senior Bowl or have their full staff at the Senior Bowl because half the team has been preparing for a playoff game or a Super Bowl. Uh, so this is the first time that they've had the opportunity to take advantage of that, and I know for, that the organization wants to get this head coaching thing done so that they can move on to the next step, which is the draft process, the free agency process. Um, oh, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, that that is an excellent point. It, it is all about the timing, and uh, we will definitely be watching uh, um, uh, the latest developments. Uh, that's a good uh, clue to look for. Uh, if he's not hired uh, by Friday, then it's likely Shanahan could be the guy. Uh, but I also hear Vance Joseph has other teams interested in him. Can you um, uh, confirm that other teams are going inter- are interested and will interview him? Yeah, Vance Joseph, I guess if Jacksonville's out, now has four teams that are that are interested in him uh, as a potential head coach. Uh, Denver, I think San Francisco was looking at him. I hadn't heard him necessarily circulate with L.A., but I knew the number was four uh, that somebody told me. Uh, so I, I think that Vance Joseph has four teams interested in him at this point, including the Broncos. Uh the Broncos, they really like Vance Joseph, and they'd love to get him into the building. And if he can come in and impress in that interview, I think it would be a really tough decision for them. I, I, I don't think any one person is way in the lead right now. I mean, I've gone back and forth. I think initially it was Shanahan, then I thought it was Joseph, and now I think it could be either. Um, and I think the Broncos, quite frankly, would be happy with either. The question is, what are you looking for uh, in a head coach? Are you looking for somebody who's going to be like a Gary Kubiak? Somebody that you can kind of plug in to run your offense, to handle your media obligation, to do the head coach thing? Or are you looking for somebody who's a little bit different? Somebody like a Mike Tom- who's more like a like a Mike Tomlin or a John Fox, kind of a, a coach of coaches, a CEO type leader of men who's going to come in, uh, lead your organization, and not necessarily be right down in the middle of game planning and in the middle of the X's and O's stuff, that that would, I think, be more Vance Joseph's approach. And I think John Elway doesn't really mind either. He wants somebody, ultimately, who's going to be subsidiary to him and, and to the front office and is going to not not necessarily be a lackey or be, you know, that type of person, but somebody who's going to, to you know, not kowtow, but somebody who's going to reflect the wishes of the general manager and, and, and the front office and... and Ultimately, that group, Elway Russell, is going to be the deciding group in this organization going forward. They're going to make, I think, increased personnel decisions. They're going to be more involved in in the day-to-day uh, operations of the team than they have been under Gary Kubiak and John Fox. And I think that's ultimately what they're looking for, is a coach who can come in, do his job, but also let them maybe sneak in a little bit more as well in terms of organizational control. And that's a piece that that the Broncos are definitely looking for. Uh, And I think Shanahan or Joseph would probably both be agreeable to that because the the Denver job is the best job in the NFL uh, to have. And either of those two guys would be happy to take it. Jake DeMarsing, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, covers the Denver Broncos and the Denver Nuggets for 5280 Sports Network in Denver. Uh, and it's uh, he's a great friend of the program. It was, once again, a 
pleasure to have you on, Jake, and we thank you so much for donating your time, your knowledge, and your sources to our program. But before we go, I want to let's just uh, talk briefly about tonight's national championship game between Clemson and Alabama, which begins in five minutes. Um, Like, uh, let's just just give you a list of uh, of. of 2017 NFL draft prospects to watch this game. I know we got Jonathan Allen, Ruben Foster uh, in Alabama, Michael Thomas, and Deshaun Watson, Clemson. Uh, who, who? Any other names that I missed uh, that the you're interested in watching the guy uh, for? That I'm gonna ha- the guy that I'm going to have my eyes on, and for those who follow me, they know I'm, I'm kind of a draft. I'm a, I'm a draft nick. I love this time of year getting into these names. Uh, the guy that I'm keeping my eyes on the entire night is Cam Robinson, uh, the left tackle for Alabama, who for me, at least right now is the only offensive lineman in this class worth taking in the top, really in the first round. Uh, if it were a normal offensive line year, he's a guy who's probably going to be a top 10 pick. Um, but he's also somebody that, that has some off field issues and some questions about his motor. So if, you know, there's a way he falls into the mid teens where the team I cover, the Denver Broncos, could potentially look at at trading up and grabbing him if they really think they're desperate for offensive line help, which I think they do. Uh, so Cam Robinson is is really the only tackle or offensive lineman period that I have a first round grade on as of right now. Uh, if if he performs well tonight, look for his stock to really skyrocket because it is such a, a needy class uh, at the offensive line spot. So, so Robinson for me is that guy. And then, and then, you know, Deshaun Watson, I'm not super high on him. He's my third quarterback in this class uh, behind uh, Trubisky and, and Deshaun Kaiser uh, out of Notre Dame. I think Watson, I mean, he's thrown 17 interceptions this year. The kid has some issues, uh, but I think he's got raw physical talent and he's going to be one of those guys who comes into the combine and, comes into the pro day process and just puts up crazy numbers in the 40 and, and the shuttle drill and all those different athletic events the guys do. And it's going to make some teams and some scouts really impressed with those kind of raw athletic physical numbers. And he'll put on those kind of, that kind of a display tonight, I think too. If he wins this game, it, it'll, it'll make him probably a top 10 pick. Um, and it could wind up being, he's the guy who, you know, some, some team really falls in love with and, trades up, you know, seven draft picks to Cleveland in order to get into the number one spot and take him. But I think he's he's somebody to look out for. But for me, Deacon, the big guy tonight is, is Cam Robinson, the left tackle of the Alabama Crimson Tide. I'll definitely keep an eye out for him. And who do you have tonight, Clemson or Alabama? I have Alabama by, you know, 10 points or so. That that It's almost not fun this time of year when it comes playoff time in college football, because you just know what's going to happen. It's almost like the New England Patriots. It's clockwork every year that the Alabama Crimson Tide are going to go out and win a national championship or at least be right there. Uh, I think Alabama's just too much. They've got they're, – they're, they, they're NFL teams that Alabama could compete with. I don't think they'd necessarily beat them, but they could compete with them, uh, especially on a good day. That – that team is really good, and Nick Saban has, has them firing on all cylinders right now. So I'm really looking forward to watching this game, and, and I know you are too. Definitely, Jake. It should be a great one, and I honestly hope and pray that you're wrong. I want Clemson to pull off the upset, but you definitely bring up a point. Alabama it, it will obviously be expected to win because of the track record. Uh, Jake, once again, thank you for coming on the program, and I hope to do this again with you very soon, and uh, maybe um, uh, we'll do another um, uh, free agency preview in a couple months. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk then. 
Sounds great. Jake Marsing, ladies and gentlemen, from 5280 Sports Network, covers the Broncos, covers the Denver Nuggets as well. Reliable NBA and NFL insider, as you just heard right there. And that does it for today's edition here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. For Jake Marsing, Chris Broadhead, our producer, I'm David Cromelo, uh, but more commonly known as D. Crom, saying so long and stay awesome, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>